the other side, a lawyer looks at the arguments of COPPA's strongest advocates. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I thought we might tackle a different perspective on the entire COPPA issue. Now, if you've been following virtual legality for the past month or so, you know we've covered a lot of different angles about what COPPA does, about how YouTube content creators are trying to grapple with the new obligations that YouTube, the Federal Trade Commission, and other parties have put upon them by trying to comply with the COPPA rule, by trying to figure out whether or not they should hit the button for kids or not for kids on their content. And I think We've covered that pretty well so far. There's probably a few more videos that we might talk about various little nuances that I've seen pop up and that people have asked me about. But today I want to take a different tact. I want to look at something different. On December 11th, a couple days ago, the FTC finished its comment period on COPPA. So over the summer, they asked for new comments because they were thinking about revising the COPPA rule, which is again a series of obligations, pieces of language that they make they promulgate in legal parlance underneath the act itself, the law, in order to give better meaning, give clarity to the law and the language in the law. Now, if you heard me say clarity and you made a little laugh to yourself, that means you've been watching virtual legality because you know the COPPA rule is anything but clear. But they went, they sought comments, and that's one of the things that a lot of YouTubers have actually submitted comments on. As a matter of fact, I think the FTC is probably under a complete deluge of comments. But... YouTube content creators aren't the only people speaking. And so I wanted to just kind of talk to you a little bit about the other side of the coin, about the other folks involved in this, those advocates and advocacy groups that are seeking to not only eliminate your complaints about COPPA by saying it's totally fine, but in fact to make it stronger with specious arguments of their own. And I think this will also give us a little bit more clarity as to the nature of the Federal Trade Commission press conference in early September. I've talked about it on previous videos, but part of that press conference was not just saber-rattling to scare you, but also saber-rattling to try to convince these kinds of folks, the folks that you see on your screen right now, the folks that we're about to talk about, to make them think that the FTC is doing a good job in enforcing COPPA, because these groups the senators that are related to them, the representatives that are related to them, constantly tell the FTC that they aren't doing enough. And as we will see in their comment that was just released as of December 11th, that is exactly what they wind up saying. So take a look at this list of folks. Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood, Center for Digital Democracy, Alana Institute, American Academy of Pediatrics, the Badass Teachers Association, Berkeley Media Studies Group, Consumer Action, Consumer Watchdog, Defending the Early Years. One group that you all might be familiar with, especially if you find yourself on YouTube watching Virtual Legality, Electronic Frontier Foundation, Obligation Inc., Peace, Parent Coalition for Student Privacy, Parents Across America, Parents Television Council, Public Citizen, Story of Stuff, Truce, and USPIRG. This particular group of advocacy organizations reminds me a lot of the folks that I see commenting a lot on loot boxes and video games and even going way back into the early 90s on things like Mortal Kombat and Night Trap and gratuitous violence in CD full motion video games and things of that nature. So what was old is new again, and I'm sure will be old and then new again in 30 years. But these advocacy groups are against 
what many, many, many of you content creators have put out there have commented on to the Federal Trade Commission, the complaints that you have made about COPPA, what we have talked about, what we're about to talk about again, because a lot of what you see here is the same kind of specious argumentation that I talked about with respect to the Federal Trade Commission's press conference. But let's dive in. First, they recite all those groups again. And then they say, hey, we appreciate the Federal Trade Commission that has undertaken an early review of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act rule. Yeah, the Rule as it stands right now is from 2013. This is only six years later. That's pretty fast for a new set of rules to be promulgated under the act. Probably justifiably so. Technology changes pretty fast. I think it's probably useful to re-examine things like data collection on the internet and through online services at a pretty reasonable clip. Uh, but that being said, there are a number of ways the Federal Trade Commission can go. I think certainly when they solicited for comments over the summer, it was not on the premise that they would be weakening COPPA, that they would be helping out YouTube content creators. It was on the premise in all likelihood that they would likely be strengthening a COPPA. And so I think all of this happening and happening under the uh, guise of trying to evaluate whether COPPA is a good rule right now has thrown a couple of these groups for a loop. And you'll see them actually comment on it in this document. And we're only going to read the introduction and summary. This document is actually hugely long. And while I know you all love the two-hour versions of virtual legality, I've gotten that comment a lot. Please, Rick, make them longer. I'm going to try to keep this short and sweet because even in the introduction and summary, which does highlight all of the various sections of this document, you will see some of the same problems that we have seen before. It says, we believe, however, that the rule as amended in 2013 is fundamentally sound the expansion to the concept of operator, the other kind of weird ways in which you might classify directed to children, all this stuff that we have talked about now at length, it's fundamentally sound. Everything's fine, Federal Trade Commission. Don't look at any of that stuff again. The main problem is that the FTC has not adequately enforced it. Yeah, you know, you've got this great rule here, Federal Trade Commission, but you haven't used it to beat people about the head and shoulders enough. You should do that more. That's the overall thesis of this document. The FTC's inadequate enforcement is illustrated by the FTC's recent action against YouTube. Obviously, the one from September 4th, the $170 million that we have talked about so much. The FTC has long been aware that many channels on YouTube are directed to children. Under the COPPA rule, as amended in 2013, operators of these channels are strictly liable for COPPA compliance. Note a little bit of sleight of hand here, right? Operator is the word that we have looked at again and again and again, because the ultimate importance, the ultimate people that are responsible for compliance with COPPA are operators. Section A, subsection one, it is unlawful for an operator of a website or online service directed to children or any operator that has actual knowledge that it is collecting personal information from a child to collect that personal information. And you, Federal Trade Commission, go make some rules that help give voice and volume to that general prohibition. But it all lives and dies on whether the person is a website operator. And that was the big fight in 2013. If we go back and look at this particular document, you see that they put in their footnote, statement of basis and purpose. And then if you're at all interested in legal research ever, this is actually how you can find these documents. It's Volume 78, the Federal Register, it gives you the page number, 3,972. And yes, the Federal Register is that big. It's actually significantly bigger. So yeah, government. And it tells you the pages, 3,975 through 77. And we can actually go. We can have this conversation. We can say, okay, 
thanks for telling us where to go. Let's take a look at what is actually said right there. And if you followed virtual legality, you've seen this document before. This is the comments to the new rule in 2013 explaining what the Federal Trade Commission decided to do after it collected all these third-party comments on the rule itself. This is the kind of document you will eventually see when the Federal Trade Commission decides to change the rule now based on all the comments it received over the summer and through the start of December now. But you see the section that we were being pointed to here. Strict liability for child-directed content sites, definition of operator. Implementing strict liability as described above requires modifying the current definition of operator. So first, they acknowledge that they're changing what operator was originally saying as of 1998. The rule, which mirrors the statutory language, we would never go above and beyond the statutory language, defines operator in pertinent part as what we just said. Any person who operates a website located on the internet or an online service and who collects or maintains personal information from or about the users of or visitors to such website or online service, and then here's where they use as the hook, or on whose behalf such information is collected and maintained. In the 2012 version of this, the commission proposed adding a proviso to that definition, stating that personal information is collected or maintained on behalf of an operator where it is collected in the interest of, as a representative of, or for the benefit of that operator. Industry, particularly online content publishers, including app developers, criticized this proposed change. Industry comments argued that the phrase on whose behalf in the statute applies to agents and service providers, and that the commission lacks the authority to interpret the phrase more broadly to include any incidental benefit that results when two parties enter a commercial transaction. Commenters also raised a number of policy objections. It would be too expensive to comply with. Privacy organizations generally supported imposing strict liability, as we are seeing in this document we are reading today. And they agreed with the commission's statement in 2012 that the first party content provider is in a position to control which plugins and software downloads it integrates into its site and that it benefits by allowing information collection by such third parties. After considering both sets of comments, the commission retains a strict liability standard for child-directed sites and services that allow other online services to collect personal information through their sites. But note what is already assumed here. We're talking about the definition of operator, right? And we're having this fight about on whose benefit things are collected. And that's what the FTC would like to attach to channel owners, as they say, but content creators, as I might otherwise say, that YouTube is acting as a separate third-party service provider and that you are otherwise the king in the castle or the queen in the castle and that YouTube is essentially acting to collect data on your behalf. And you could choose to tell them not to do so because you are in the best position to control which plugins and software downloads you integrate into your site because this is all written for a website operator. We're talking about administrators who go down into the HTML level and actually change things and integrate plugins and things like that. This was never aimed at content creators in the fashion that is proposed by the FTC right now, is proposed by these various groups, and they know it. You know, they're complaining about the FTC not litigating this at all against the content creators because the FTC doesn't want to get egg on its face. It doesn't want to go through an entire litigation, and if you pick somebody that is big and bad enough and you attack their livelihood, you are going to have a litigation. And the FTC knows it's got issues. We've also talked about the actual dissent to this rule, which is not very common when we're talking about technical promulgated rules, where we see the dissenting statement of Commissioner Maureen Olhausen, who said, I have voted against adopting the amendments to the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act because I believe a core provision of the amendments exceeds the scope of the authority granted to us by Congress. In COPPA, Congress defined who is an operator and thereby set the outer boundary for the statutes and the COPPA rules reach. We've talked about that. 
The FTC is not Congress. The law of the land has to be legislated, has to be signed by the president. And yes, they can delegate to a third party like the FTC that they can make rules that define various aspects of what happens within the act, but you can't go outside its bounds. So they say this particular dissenting commissioner, the proposed amendments construe the term on whose behalf such information is collected and maintained to reach child directed websites or services that merely derive from a third party plug in some kind of benefit which may well be unrelated to the direct collection and use of children's information. For example, content, functionality, or even advertising revenue. I find that this proviso, which would extend COPPA obligations to entities that do not collect personal information from children or have access to or control of such information collected by a third party, ring any bells, content creators, does not comport with the plain meaning of the statutory definition of an operator in COPPA, which covers only entities on whose behalf such information is collected and maintained. In other words, I do not believe that the fact that a child-directed site or online service receives any kind of benefit from using a plugin is equivalent to the collection of personal information by the third-party plugin on behalf of the child-directed site or online service. I believe, as a commissioner of the Federal Trade Commission, that what you are proposing in your rules goes so far outside your authority that it should be void on its face. And we've talked about what these rules mean. Yes, follow the guidelines if you can. By all means, don't go outside of them if you can avoid it. But these have not been litigated. The Federal Trade Commission cannot just make a rule that says, Nobody's allowed to post videos on YouTube ever again under COPPA. I think everybody can recognize that's completely outside of its authority. What we're talking about is an edge case, a margin case, but it's the same kind of precept. And the FTC doesn't want to litigate this. You don't think this dissent would come up in any kind of litigation that one might have about whether you're an operator or not as a content creator under YouTube? Of course it would. And the Federal Trade Commission knows that. And the people that are speaking against the YouTube content creators that are speaking in favor of COPPA treat it as a settled question when it is anything but. And we've talked about the fact you don't want to find yourself in a litigation with the Federal Trade Commission because you'd have to be defending yourself based on these various kinds of things. I don't want to see a virtual legality episode wheeled in on some kind of VHS recorder and put in front of the court. All of that costs too much money. You don't want to have that fight. But for purposes of the philosophy of this thing, assuming that this is a done deal, that you are an operator if you are a content creator, is absolutely fallacious. And they try to steal that base at the very start of their document. Yet, the FTC took no action until earlier this year when it filed a complaint against YouTube for violating COPPA because it hosts numerous child-directed channels and had actual knowledge that these channels collect personal information, including persistent identifiers for use in behavioral advertising from viewers of channels and content directed to children under 13 years of age. They are angry about the fact that the Federal Trade Commission went for the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit, which we've talked about as well in this series, which is okay, you actually have emails, you have phone calls, you have internal records that show that this channel is for children under the age of five. You have about pages that say from two to seven. Yes, you had actual knowledge that these channels were directed at kids and you, actual operator of the website, can probably be held liable for that. But that's the easiest thing to prove. Doesn't require any of this strict liability. Doesn't require any of the things that they would really like to attach to people like content creators who aren't setting YouTube's policies, who aren't operating their website, who aren't operating even the service of YouTube. They continue. While we agree that YouTube is liable, so too are the channel owners. Why stop there? You did this wrong. Go get Hasbro. Go get Rick. Maybe kids love virtual legality. Who knows? Indeed, the 2013 amendments make plain 
that content providers are strictly liable for compliance with COPPA. The 2013 rules only have legal effect to the extent they do not exceed the bounds of the act under which they are promulgated. You can remember that sentence, some legal language there, but if you can remember that sentence, that'll do you well to understanding the fight that is happening here. They want to just claim that base because a couple of commissioners said it was fine when that would most certainly be a fight that anybody would have. And certainly if you're bringing Hasbro or Disney or whomever to court, you're going to have issues if you're the Federal Trade Commission. The large number of comments from content creators in this proceeding suggests, however, that many did not realize they were responsible for complying with COPPA. Yeah, yeah, you know, they didn't realize that because uh, COPPA was for website operators and really never intended for folks uploading cat videos on a file sharing service. Had the FTC acted sooner to enforce the COPPA rule against YouTube and the creators of child content, these problems could have been minimized. You didn't Gestapo hard enough, FTC. Had you been hitting people in the head with your bats since 1998, they would know where they stand and they would hide in the corner where they belong. As we show below, non-compliance with COPPA is widespread. Certainly, if you assume that everybody that puts anything up on the internet ever on Facebook or on YouTube or on their favorite forum is and has to be compliant with COPPA, I suspect non-compliance is very much widespread. This is not surprising, given that in the 20 years COPPA has been in effect, the FTC has brought only 31 enforcement actions. Here's a little bit of comfort for you in case you're really worried about the FTC. I've talked about it in my videos, but the FTC's never brought anything against a content creator or a creator of feed content for a third-party web host, the true operators of these various kinds of things. And in fact, these guys say they've only brought 31 actions in the last 20 years. That should give you some comfort. For the most part, the Federal Trade Commission knows it's on shaky ground in various places here, and they are only going to try to hit the low-hanging fruit because to have all of this house of cards crumble would be bad for them. They'd lose some of that enforcement authority. Even when the FTC does act, it takes a long time, and the penalties are simply seen as the cost of doing business, right? Because the Federal Trade Commission Act actually says you can't bankrupt people and you have to use justice and equitable means when you are asserting penalties. We've talked about that in this series as well. Thus, the most important thing that the FTC could do to protect children's privacy is to more aggressively enforce its existing rules. Go get them. In particular, the FTC, FTC should do more to ensure that operators do not collect more information from a child than is reasonably necessary and require operators to protect the confidentiality, security, and integrity of personal information collected from children. It should also revise rules to encourage increased enforcement by safe harbor organizations. This is not to say that the COPPA rule could not be improved. We come not to disparage you. It is true that recent developments in technology and marketing have increased privacy risks to children. But at present, we do not believe that the FTC has sufficient information to address these new threats. For this reason, we have written a separate letter urging the FTC to use its 6B authority to study how children's information is being collected and used. That's authority to generally uh, engage in investigations, to go and look at how different rules might be changed, potentially do reports to Congress, ask for rules, uh, ask for the act itself to be changed, those kinds of things. The FTC should gather and analyze this information before proposing any changes to the COPPA rule. You need to go do your research, do your homework. If you deign to weaken this rule, we will make your life a living hell, Federal Trade Commission. Until such studies are conducted, many questions raised in the FTC's request for comment cannot be answered. We think you might weaken this, so let's, let's delay. We don't want that no just yet, so maybe you should think it over for a couple years. Maybe a blue ribbon commission. 
Nonetheless, we do have some suggestions about how the COPPA rule should or should not be amended to better protect children's privacy. In particular, the FTC should not permit general audience platforms to rebut the presumption that the users of child-directed portions of their services are children. Now, this takes a little bit of decoding. If you haven't watched previous videos, I think we've covered this in a couple of places. But the decoding here is that general audience platform, that's YouTube, right? They don't have strict liability for what happens on their site because everybody knows it's got a lot of stuff on it. It's got 18 plus stuff on it. It's got kids stuff. It's got teen stuff. It's a general audience site. And so the Federal Trade Commission has, in its current rules, essentially said, you are not strictly liable for what happens on your gigantic general audience site, but you are liable if you have actual knowledge. And here's the trick here. And we've talked about this in virtual legality before, but well-intentioned rules, well-intentioned laws can have negative unintended consequences. And that's what the Federal Trade Commission has realized in their lawsuit against YouTube. They looked at what happened with YouTube. They said, okay, if actual knowledge is what we need to do to get you, then you have a lot of incentive to not gain that actual knowledge. You have a lot of incentive to potentially turn off those about tabs, to not take emails, to not do what we got you on. And as we were looking at the various incentives that this rule creates, we realized we probably have to ease up on that penalty a little bit, right? You might have seen stories, for instance, about jurisdictions that have, let's say, a life sentence for a $5,000 robbery and a life sentence for murder, right? I think you can probably piece this one together, but what does that do once you are running from the cops or otherwise and you've stolen $5,000 of goods from that house or that jewelry store or what have you? It lowers the cost of murder to nothing. You can set up rules that seem to make sense on the outside that create these horrible unintended consequences. And so while the, the, this group, this group of entities wants to say, hey, you can't lower that penalty. That's exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. The FTC is looking at it and saying, if we don't lower that penalty, what actually happens is much worse because these people hide their heads in the sand and we can't get them because we've now shown our cards as to what we think not hiding your head in the sand gets you. So you look at this and the FTC is trying to say, we still want YouTube on the hook, but we have to set something more reasonably. And this group of advocates says, oh my God, no, you can't do that. That's easing up on the restriction and not really understanding in detail what's happening here as a kind of political dynamic. They say any portion of a general audience service that is child-directed must treat its users of that portion of the site as children. Moreover, there is no good way for platforms to reliably sort under 13 from over 13. Many children use general audience services via their parents' devices, sometimes logged into their parents' accounts. One might think you could potentially promulgate a rule that says if it's a parent's account, it's implied consent. But hey, I'm not writing the laws. If the FTC were to permit general audience platforms to rely on user profiles to rebut the presumption that patrons of their child-directed offerings are children, it would lead to widespread mislabeling of children as adults and large numbers of underprotected children. It would, coincidentally, also result in a large number of adults not erroneously being treated as children, but, you know, six and one half dozen of the other. Which side of this line do you fall on? I think you probably know which one I do. The FTC should retain its enforcement policy statement for voice recordings. I don't think we have any particular interest in this fight. The FTC should strengthen protections for student privacy. They want additional protections to go with the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act uh, in schools. 
Uh, again, you know, a lot of what they're talking about here, my main problem would be you still have to act under the law itself. These seem to be advocacy for changes in the law, which you are more than welcome to do. I think all of you, if you're interested in these kinds of topics and you have thoughts on a law, absolutely send a letter to your legislator, talk to them about what the law should be, but don't try to go through the back door. Don't go around the horn here and have a Federal Trade Commission or other government agency just interpret that word completely differently and have different rights and obligations come about that aren't in the law itself. Here's a big one. The FTC should tighten and more effectively define support for the internal operations of the website or online service. Now, we spent a whole video talking about this particular concept. In fact, you can go check it out right now if you're interested. This was called, Let's Pretend the FTC is Right, in reference to the fact that you, content creator, are a website operator. Is COPPA compliance one button away? And the basic thesis for this video uh, is that in the FTC's complaint against YouTube, they said, we can treat you content creators as website operators because you have this button that says disable interest-based ads. And what that's doing behind the scenes, not that you, the content creator, would have reason to know this, is it's turning off what they call behavioral advertising, which is using persistent identifiers to serve up advertisements based on your previous sessions, based on other things you've seen on the web, and giving those to you. They're using your personal data in that way. You click that button, they no longer do that. They just serve up uh, locational ads, ads that are based on what's on the screen at the present time. So if you're watching a My Little Pony video, it might be an ad for My Little Pony, but it's not figuring out that you watched a My Little Pony video yesterday. But the reason I asked the question here, and I answered it hopefully in the video, is COPPA compliance one button away, is if you click this button off, you aren't changing the fact that YouTube is collecting the data. You aren't. YouTube is still collecting data from children. So if you do have that My Little Pony website, that channel that you created, and a child visits it, because let's just assume for purposes here that it is directed to children. We won't have that fight in this video. It is directed to children, and the child visits it. You've clicked this box. The data is still being collected. The data is still being collected, and YouTube isn't complying with its notice and parental consent requirements. The COPPA rule itself allows for data to be collected from children for the internal operations of the website. As a matter of fact, that was the main response in 2013 that the commission put forth for not worrying about this massive expansion in how they would be interpreting what an operator was and what elicited that dissent from the commissioner. You can see here on page 3977 of volume 78, number 12 of the Federal Register, that the commission recognizes the potential burden that strict liability places on child-directed content providers, particularly small app developers. The commission also appreciates the potential for discouraging dynamic child-directed content. Nevertheless, when it enacted COPPA, Congress imposed absolute requirements on child-directed sites and services regarding restrictions on the collection of personal information. Those requirements cannot be avoided through outsourcing offerings to other operators in the online ecosystem. The commission believes that the potential burden on child-directed sites discussed by the commenters in response to 2012's look at this rule will be eased by the more limited definition of persistent identifiers and the more expansive definition of support for internal operations adopted in the final rule. They were deliberately expanding that definition to try to ease some of these complaints. They were doing a balancing act and saying, okay, if we're going to drag in some extra operators, then maybe we should have a broader exception 
if you are supporting the internal operations of your website. And again, we're not going to have the fight right now about whether you're a website operator of YouTube, but pretending that you are, if you click the button to eliminate behavioral advertisement, this should be allowed. That internal operations is supposed to allow them to collect childhood data or, or children's personal information and get you to a place where that's okay if you're not doing these behavioral advertisements, at least as so far as YouTube is using the data. But this particular advocacy advocacy group wants to say, you need to tighten that. Okay, we won in 2013. We got that expansive operator definition. We looked at this and we said, hey, we don't like that you tried to ease that burden. Let's make it less eased. The COPPA rule currently defines certain circumstances under which an operator may collect personal information from a child and incur fewer obligations under COPPA. The current definition is so broad and vague that it creates incentives for operators to claim the children's personal information, especially persistent identifiers, which is what is at issue in the YouTube case, is used only for internal purposes, even when it is not. The FTC should require operators to only retain information collected under the internal operations exception for a short period of time. The FTC should also clarify that permissible personalization of content applies only to personalization that is user-driven. Finally, the FTC should make clear that advertising attribution is not included under the definition of support for internal operations, a point acknowledged even by advertisers. So again, you essentially have this particular group seeking a win in 2013, getting it, having it balanced against them, and now seeking to have even that balancing go away. They want it stronger, stronger, and stronger still. The FTC should strengthen its policies protecting children's privacy by expanding the definition of personal information. Now, this is a biggie, although they don't expound upon it here in the highlights. The FTC should clarify that COPPA's protections extend to biometric data and to personal information that is inferred about, but not directly collected from children. Personal information that can be inferred from a visitor. Forget persistent identifiers, which are already included of the list of things that can get you in trouble. We're now talking about some combination of things that could result in the inference of personal information. That's probably as broad as you can make a law or a rule under a law. And again, I refer back to COPPA itself, which actually has a list of what it means by personal information, which is probably what you would think of. A first and last name a home address, including street name and name of a city or town, an email, a telephone number, a social security number. Then you've got some catch-alls. Any other identifier that the commission determines permits the physical or online contacting of a, spe of a specific individual. Now that's a fight for another day, but the entire kind of discussion around persistent identifiers and whether you can actually contact a specific identifier with them was something that was debated pretty extensively, ultimately a loser pretty strongly at the Federal Trade Commission level. There were fights that say, hey, even if you identify something through IP address or what have you, you're only talking about a phone that might be mom's phone, that might be dad's phone, that might be somebody that borrowed a phone or stole a phone. You can't contact a specific individual just from a persistent identifier. Federal Trade Commission says, no, 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 we're not going to have that discussion. So probably a weaker case than the other ones that I've brought up here. But ultimately, personal information is supposed to be these things as well as a combination of these things. That's what G says. So if you actually want to expand this, which again is the limited definition in the act itself, I think inference of personal information becomes a very significant and problematic issue. By all means, advocacy groups, go to Congress, 
try to get that passed, but don't try to tell the FTC that they can make a rule that allows the inference of personal information as part of promulgating rules under the act. Finally, they say the FTC should develop a new COPPA rule implementing neglected sections of the statute. COPPA has long been treated as a notice and comment framework by the FTC. I think that's consent probably, but it is much more. COPPA also requires the FTC to promulgate regulations that prohibit conditioning a child's participation in an activity on the child disclosing more personal information than is reasonably necessary to participate in such activity and require operators to protect the confidentiality, security, and integrity of personal information collected from children. To better protect children's privacy, the FTC should develop rules implementing these underutilized provisions of COPPA. What they actually mean here is that they think the FTC should do a better job, because if we actually look at the COPPA rule itself, we see section 312.7 and 312.8 that says an operator is prohibited from conditioning a child's participation in a game, the offering of a prize or other activity on the child's disclosing more personal information than is reasonably necessary to participate in such activity. Their primary complaint here, and if you read through, through their entire document, God bless you, but if you do, then they basically say, hey, this just repeats the statute. And generally, when you see a rule that does that, it's not terribly useful as guidelines to actually operating your website or doing anything else under the law, but it generally means that the commission looked at the law and said, hey, we think that that is clear enough. Uh, and their main complaint, these advocacy groups is saying, hey, who knows what reasonable is? This is too vague. It's pretty ironic when you consider that they think the actual 2013 rule is fine when the main premise of the rule itself requires the commission to determine what directed to children is based on a whole litany of garbage, subject matter, visual content, animated characters, music, age of models, etc. That's fine, commission. That's not vague at all. But hey, this thing that says reasonably necessary, that's too vague. Reasonably necessary being a term of art in the law and pretty commonly understood to mean a third party objective standard for what is reasonable given the facts and circumstances of the occasion. But hey, I'm not the advocacy group. By all means, knock them dead. Ask for the FTC to do whatever you want. And here we are. So that's just a brief lay of the land of what others are saying. Because I think one thing that's important when we talk about the law, when we talk about laws and rules and regulations and controversies that are in the news, is something that I learned in law school a long time ago. It's very useful to try to understand the other side of the argument. That's even if you're trying to defeat the argument and you don't believe one single bit about what the other side is saying. Because chances are they've got some smart people on their side. Chances are they've got some people that can put a sentence or two together, can advocate for their position, can fight virtual legality and Rick to the death and have fun doing it. And if you don't understand what they're saying at all, you're not going to be able to position yourself if you're talking to the FTC, if you're talking to a legislator, if you're just talking about this on your own YouTube channel. You're not going to be able to address their complaints and their concerns in the most efficacious way possible. So that's the purpose of this video. Let's think about what they're saying. Let's think about what that means to what we're saying, what my interpretation of COPPA is, what the 2013 rule says, and keep that in mind as this rule process proceeds, because the Federal Trade Commission is going to come out with something, and it's going to come out with something that makes you unhappy. It may or may not make you completely unhappy, but it's going to make you in part unhappy. They are not going to go completely in one direction or the other. That is not what a federal agency does. And so it's important to have these kinds of arguments in mind so that if you're talking about it with a friend, a loved one, hey, if you're on a news channel, then you know exactly what the other side is saying. And you can hopefully disarm it if it's stupid, 
or at least acknowledge the concerns in some of these things and say, hey, maybe there is a better way. Maybe we can work together to find that better way together. But you don't know what you don't know. And if you just skip listening and thinking about what other people are saying that are opposed to you, you can't craft the single best argument for your position. That's been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for watching if you caught this on YouTube. We talk about these kinds of things all the time, including YouTube, video games, software, technology, business, law, pop culture, and everything in between. And thank you so much for listening if you listen to it in its podcast format. Either way, I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.